Hello and welcome to the Globe podcast on the World Football Index. In this episode, we have a Football in Asia special, really, as I chat to Akash in India about the Under-17 World Cup that recently took place over there. And Owen in Scotland talks to us about a creation of a new club in Mongolia in recent years that he is researching on at the moment. So, welcome guys. First off, let's uh, let's go over to Owen there in Scotland. How are you? And if you can just introduce yourself a little bit further to our listeners. Hello, um, my name is Owen um, and I run a website called From the Tofu Bowl um, where we look at football in East Asia. Having lived in Taiwan, I know that they're passionate for football in East Asia, but you don't hear a lot about it in the English media. So really, the main goal of my website is to bring you all the weird and wonderful adventures of football in East Asia from China, Japan, North Korea to the smaller countries such as Hong Kong and Taiwan. Okay, sounds fascinating. And also, Akash in New Delhi, can you give us a little bit of information about yourself? Hi, Adam. Hi, Owen. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Yeah, I'm calling from New Delhi, which is the capital of India. Here I write for various publications uh, as a freelance uh, sports writer and and travel around uh, India and, in fact, uh, the world uh, to watch what sport I was here during the under 17 world cup uh, and it it, it it was a very enjoyable tournament uh, I like to talk about it uh. okay cool uh, first off Akash just before we get into kind of the main discussion about the impact of the under 17 world cup in India just how much did you enjoy attending the mass matches and was there a favorite match that you attended favorite game or a kind of a favorite moment you want to share with us first of all it was it was very enjoyable it was one off experience in india and I'm, i've been here for 28 years now it's, it's kind of like you were you were attending a you were you were watching a level of football that you haven't watched before in india and it was worth traveling around i i flew around i flew south south of india to south of india to the east of india which is like traveling to different countries in europe in general sports sports related travel isn't uh, known in india but the World Cup made it worth it. It was it was both entertaining and with with attendances that made the atmosphere uh, good enough to you know last last the entire uh, even even the double headers in in Indian stadiums you usually do not you know your your experience isn't enjoyable enough to last uh, double headers. But he, here in this case the football the you were you were so distracted by the by the lovely football to be seen that you enjoyed your time there. Uh, my favorite moment. Uh, so I didn't have a, I didn't particularly have any supporting team, uh, but my favorite moment would actually be Brazil versus Spain in Kochi. It was attended by over 21,000 people, which wasn't comparable to a Calcutta, which had three times more. But essentially, when uh, after watching an India game in Delhi, and when I flew down south, uh, watching a Brazil versus Spain and that level of football, it was it was a very surreal experience. It it that was the time which when when it felt that the the World Cup had arrived in India, and had I not known that this was an Under-17 World Cup, I could have easily this could have easily been passed off as a senior level a senior level football game as well. That's how that's how similar uh, these two sides in their in their culture and philosophy. Uh, that's how similar they were to the senior level games. Yeah, I, I have to say that you know I I, I had watched the Under-17 World Cup here in Chile in 2015. Watching some of these games in the in, in this World Cup in India, I thought that the level of football was a lot higher this time around. I don't know if you saw any of the action in Chile two years ago, but 
I, I, I found that there was a lot more technical quality in, in this World Cup compared to previous editions. So I, I did not watch uh, the Chile World Cup. In general, I think TV audience, TV viewership of an under-17 World Cup is, uh, isn't too high. It doesn't keep you engaged, especially with the amount of football that's, that's going on elsewhere in the world. But yes, the, the level of football was incredibly high. And even, even some of the industry professionals who'd, who'd flown in um, had appreciated that, especially especially because the, like, the likes of England and Spain and, and even Brazil, they, they, they'd shown a level of football which is which is both both technically high and entertaining as well. They, 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 they were, there were rarely any dull encounters or tactical battles or you know the, the kind of the kind of uh, football that that really puts you off in in a senior FIFA World Cup where people are not where where teams and coaches are not going for a win. Yeah, they are more worried about conceding. So, so that that entire youthful optimism and the attacking vibes um, on the pitch were actually actually made it for a great experience. The impact this World Cup has had on India, yeah, you know, to to an outsider like myself, the attendances, like you've already mentioned, were pretty good, and it was quite impactful to see the stadiums fall for some matches, and kind of I got the impression anyway that that football's really on the up in India as an outsider and that's kind of a statement's coming out of the country as well from kind of the Indian FA you know but you know football's changing in India and and you're, and you're on the way up and beautiful game is catching up with cricket are any of those statements true they're only partially true we like to sell a lot of things which are fairly superficial for instance our project director said that football has fundamentally changed after watching uh, an Indian under-17 side in front of 55,000 spectators. Unfortunately, 27,000 of those were uh, kids that were picked up from government schools and actually brought into the stadium. So it wasn't an organic, it wasn't a natural uh, crowd as well. Nonetheless, football hasn't fundamentally changed in India. It has a long way to go. The, The craze for football in various pockets of the country has always been there. And when the Indian FA says... We are a footballing nation now. Uh, FA president said, said that. Uh, Gianni Infantino, the FIFA president, flew in before the final and said that and declared that India is a footballing nation now. Problem is that for India hasn't become a footballing nation overnight and it won't become a footballing nation in decades. Uh, any any craze that was seen in the three-week event did not wasn't an overnight craze. It's always been there. And this hasn't been tapped in better. I mean, attendances uh, in Calcutta were about 65,000 plus for uh, the semi-final and the final and even the quarter-final, I think, the England-Germany game. Uh, sorry, the Brazil-Germany game. But even in the domestic leagues, the attendances reach about 50,000 plus and uh, some of the key games, like the knockout rounds, have 65,000 uh, plus attendances. So the craze has always been there. It's just not been tapped, in, tapped, uh, tapped well. So while the impact of the World Cup uh, might seem to an outsider like you uh, that football is completely changing in India, and uh, you know this is this is a stepping stone to bigger things. The the fundamental things remain the same. We have a lot of European football fans who love to watch a level of football that's uh, played in Europe. If you if you to translate that, any football fan, any similar football fan would love to watch the watch the level of football shown by an England, Spain, Brazil, and Germany. This doesn't really mean that tomorrow he's going to show up for a domestic game. Which has a uh, which has uh, which doesn't have the same aura of the World Cup, so we have a long way to go. But to drive drive a certain certain narrative, 
uh, things are always said, things are always sold. They pub, they are published, they're picked up by publications, um, and that's how that's how unfortunately everything goes. Yeah, you mentioned to me earlier that one of your worries was that the investment ahead of this World Cup was kind of top heavy spending, though, and and building kind of top heavy infrastructure without much spending on grassroots. Yes, fortunately, it's not as bad as a Brazil or a South Africa in the Senior World Cup, where uh, you read you read upon what's happening there after the World Cup, that stadiums are empty, in the middle of nowhere, nobody's taken ownership of them. Fortunately, in India, we were blessed with the huge capacity stadiums. Uh, I think, our, our, if I remember correctly, our project, our tournament director had said that India is only third behind US and Japan for the number of stadiums, which are 20,000 plus in capacity. So we we needed only upgrades rather than uh, like other countries who would build stadiums like Qatar. Qatar would build build an entire Qatar is building an entire city for a World Cup, which is draining its uh, resources. Fortunately, it didn't happen um, in India. But we've spent a lot in upgrading our stadiums, and the irony here is that we waited for a World Cup to do all this. That's fundamentally an Indian thing to do. When a guest comes to comes to your place, you decorate the drawing room, you brush everything under the carpet. Uh, the Salt Lake Stadium, which is the iconic, the most iconic venue in India, the venue for the final uh, for the England Spain final, the the England Germany uh, uh, sorry Brazil Germany quarter final, the England uh, Brazil semi final. That stadium wasn't renovated in over three decades. When the World Cup came around, the government spent a lot to bring it up to FIFA quality. And to do that, they had to completely cut off the stadium from any sporting event for one and a half years. So this is this is what happens in India. Infrastructure is uh, is developed. It's not used judiciously. There's a lot of spillage. There's a lot of uh, waste of money. Uh, state governments own these stadiums, so they don't really have uh, apathetic to this. Uh, they're indifferent to what's happening with the stadium. And let and we have to see what what goes. Uh, you know what what happens in the future with these stadiums. So yes, we have, we've seen a lot of top-heavy spending. Uh, we've developed 26 uh, FIFA-level training pitches, which again were there were there were there were no FIFA FIFA-level uh, world standard training pitches in India. There were there were there was only one uh, one FIFA standard stadium uh, in India. Ironically, that stadium wasn't used for the World Cup because the government, the state government, did not state government which owns the stadium did not show enough interest. Uh, that's one of the fundamental things which are wrong in Indian football as well. Uh, that you're dependent too much on these uh, governmental organizations. In terms of top heavy spending, I have to mention this. Uh, our under-17 team, our under-17 team, we, we, we spend about 50, sorry 150 million rupees, which is about $2 million uh, US dollars. And we'd, we'd, we'd send this this under this one, one batch of an age group for two years around the world to 15 different countries and 18 different trips. To prepare themselves to prepare prepare this team for this tournament. For some reason, we've got an idea that this is the right approach. Nobody in the world does that. Our federation, uh, the amount we have spent annually on on a bunch of 30 to 50 boys, our federation doesn't have in its overall budget for the entire uh, nation for youth football. Their budget is less than what we have spent annually on these boys. And the fundamental thing again, which is incorrect here, we, we keep on saying that most of these boys will form the spine of the senior team world football doesn't work that way you don't have you don't have you don't have a german or a spanish side which is which is from one one year of birth 10 years down the line we are not going to say that the entire uh, our most of our team has come from a from 2000 born 
includes 2001 born uh, yeah, especially especially at under seventeen level, which is very very difficult to kind of predict the futures of players at that level because they've still got so many changes to go through uh, physically and mentally. They're still kids, really, and unless they get chances to play regular football, it, and this might be a problem for the Champions England, you can't say for definite that these uh, these are going to be regulars, starters for their national teams in the future, India included. And what the idea we have got from the success of the World Cup or the perceived success of the World Cup is that this is the right approach. And we, we've planned uh, this, we've planned similar exposure to, so the next under-17 batch, uh, we've, we had planned uh, similar exposure to, so the under-19 uh, team as well, looking ahead in the future, whether we'll host the under-20 World Cup. Fortunately or unfortunately, this this team did not even qualify for the Asian Under-19 tournament. Uh, this week, uh, they lost one match. Basically, they lost one match, drew one match and uh, won the dead rubber in the end. Uh, most of this Under-19 team also had these Under-17 boys in them. Now, the whole idea, the whole idea of spending on one batch of an age group is so flawed because you've, you've not spent that much on the entire nation's youth football development and you expect clubs to do clubs to do that when your own your own uh, money is being channeled elsewhere and by the way this is because this was this was in in uh, conjunction with the sports ministry of india there's a there's, there's a hefty amount of public money a taxpayers money my money is being involved here in just creating this team uh, just for a couple of for 270 minutes of football fund and uh, I mean, two, it's essentially just 270 minutes of football nobody expected india to qualify uh, beyond the group stage there's a lot of spillage in terms of money and it is worrying because football is not the richest sport in india by far uh, we can't even cash checks of uh, our senior level players uh, in our top leagues when they win a player of the match award those those checks haven't been cashed. Uh, those checks haven't been, uh, you know, final funded uh, for for a couple of years. I think it, it, there's a there's a lot of contradiction in terms of money being spent on this and on on an on an under 17 team and around the under 17 World Cup. Whereas in another parallel universe, we are we are completely short of funds. And and ironically, the Indian the Indian FA officials keep on saying this from time to time that that club football should clubs should take up you know, take up the initiative. Problem is there's no ecosystem right now for them to sort of take up the initiative in a long term. I, I noticed uh, earlier that India are looking at possibly hosting the Under-20 World Cup in a couple of years. Have, have you seen much press about that there? It will be an unprecedented uh, move for even FIFA to give any country back-to-back World Cups. There was plenty of press around around this, uh, even in the press conferences when both the Indian FA president and the FIFA president sat and there were questions raised and Infantino did not rule it out, but he did not give his word either. And I think the decision has to be taken next year. In any case, right now, the Indian FA has uh, got into some trouble three days after the World Cup. Our president, who was in the limelight, suddenly got a shock because the Delhi High Court voided his... Uh, made his presidency wide that his election did not follow the national sports code. So right now the Indian FA doesn't have a president. And if it doesn't have a president, uh, it cannot bid for the World Cup. And I think the, the deadlines close uh, sometime this month. So right now it's it's a precarious situation in terms of hosting a World Cup. If you want my opinion on whether we should host the World Cup, I would say no. I'm not sure what we are trying to show 
or what we are trying to capitalize on we right now have enough momentum not sure we need another world cup to create more momentum and spend spend more and more on on these things on our, on our, on on the top heavy spending like you said you feel they should focus yeah. maybe more on the grassroots side of things no for the next few years exactly let's let's say we start focusing on grassroots and actually actually focusing on getting a 5 year old child to eventually play football 20 years down the line for the senior team if we can test that out in two or three decades by hosting a world cup again that'll be that'll be that'll be something to test yourself against or you know benchmark yourself against two years down the line a hosting another world cup uh, doesn't seem to have much point there there are there are there are, there are arguments uh, which say that now that we have spent so much on building infrastructure and upgrading infrastructure might as well host another world cup <laughs> that's a very silly argument i understand that's a, that's a money saving argument 30 years down the line we might need to build again and rebuild stadiums again because that's that's how we have been in the past right uh, the stadiums go for a toss uh, even when we hosted the delhi common even when delhi hosted the commonwealth games in 2010 the stadiums went for a toss and there was a huge um, amount of spillage of money and it which came out in the media later so in terms of that of course the money needs to be invested in the grassroots i keep on asking people yes the world cup has created new fans and it will energize kids to take up the sport but but a 5 year old child even an 8 year old child even a 10 year old child right now willing to take up the sport doesn't have enough avenues to become a footballer there is there is no structure that that tells this person that that tells this kid that you play here and there's and there's no path for him to reach anywhere football doesn't happen in schools uh, there are, there are, there aren't community clubs unless you're in the northeast of the country so i mean you have to you have to completely relocate to another place uh, another academy to even even think about having a career and even at the and even after being shown a path there are so many issues in indian football that there is no way somebody a 5 year old child or a 8 year old child today who's been excited about the world cup and who wants to take up the sport can actually you know his parents can support him and say that you you have the right path right uh, at the moment so there are there are many things to change before hosting another world cup and it it is pretty absurd that uh, we are we are thinking of it of course fifa has its own agenda here fifa has from 2012 to 2022 it's for it fifa has a 10 year development project here which is why we got the got the world cup in the first place it wasn't an achievement to get a world cup fifa had a lot of uh, fifa gave a lot of push said blatter flew down here to ensure the government has all the guarantees in place and until late on and we we our first official bid was rejected uh, another official bid was uh, finally made only a couple of days i think before the deadline uh, because of how much um, influence fifa had on the bidding process and it was it was a foregone conclusion that we were going to win it it was it was an open secret sort of thing so fifa has its own agenda to capture this market uh, and it's always going to try and push for the world cup but it doesn't make sense for india to to host the host on the world cup so soon interesting i think one one thing i want to one thing i wanted to mention uh, in terms of impact of the under 17 world cup what it has done has it it has forced the it, it has forced the spotlight onto the youth football scene in india it has forced the federation uh, to create youth leagues in india one of the impacts of the world cup which which wasn't really counted as a legacy of the world cup in 2015 we did not even have a world we did not have a league to cater to an under 17 to make an make an under 17 team in before 2015 there was only an under 19 and under 20 league going on which later became an under 18 league uh, in 2015 we came up with an under 17 league uh, 
this year we've come up with an under 13 league you're sort of going backwards rather than rather than start from that from the age where uh, the likes of england and you know all these top football playing nations they start the age of 5 year 5 year old child plays about 100 competitive games uh, till before he becomes 7 and has a has an entire youth profile we are sort of going backwards and i don't know how long it will take us to get there but right now we are not doing it in a long with with, a, with any long term vision it seems like the football calendar over there is is a bit confused as well no and you have kind of two leagues running at the same time there's the indian super league is that right and, yes and also the kind of national league yeah, which I... has been going for decades now and has and has been well attended especially in Kolkata as as we discussed before the pod Kolkata is kind of the the capital of football in India. So what are your feelings on that? Do you think that they need to find a way of somehow merging these leagues together to create a better system? So it's a, it's quite an extraordinary situation for uh, India to have two two leagues which are recognized by the Asian Football Confederation. It's absolutely uh, bizarre that we've we have we have two conflicting leagues one is the uh, actual official national football league which has been running since 2007 and uh, before that it was called the national football league uh, right now it's called the i league before that uh, it was called the national football league uh, it, which started in 1997 so in india professional football league only started after 1997 uh, for 10 years the first league was considered a failure it was rebranded launched again with much fanfare in 2007 10 years down the line again it's it's pretty much become a failure because it's been uh, it's been systematically allowed to be allowed to sort of uh, degenerate over the last few years there's the other league which is the indian super league which is like the mls and the chinese super league uh, which has uh, players such as del piero and nicolas anelka right who have shown up previously Roberto Carlos was a manager Marco Materazzi was a manager Zico was a manager uh, in the upcoming season we have Dimitar Berbatov coming to play for Kerala Blasters it's it's quite an interesting league and it's again it's it's a very uh, top heavy from a spending point of view it's another top heavy league but it's it's got conversation rolling in indian uh, football the problem is there's a there's a huge conflict of interest here the owners of uh, the indian super league are uh, the marketing agencies of the indian fa they they take a lot of decisions and in the last 3 years uh, whether they think whether whether deliberately or not uh, they have systematically allowed the i league to completely move out of the picture uh, there has there has been no marketing for the i league there's not been enough coverage of the i league there is uh, where whereas the indian fa was supposed to protect the interests of the i league clubs and which are called the legacy clubs right now like amon bagan and east bengal they have not been protected by the indian fa instead another another uh, rebel league has been allowed to form since 2014 which our president called the called a private tournament and not a league 3 years ago and made and and gave his word in front of cameras that this is not going this is a private tournament this is never going to be the official league official league is always going to be the i league but this this year it was uh, recognized by the asian asian federation so i mean we are moving towards Uh, a war path actually uh, this 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 year was actually quite a quite a conflicting year that there's a lot of conflict between between the two leagues 
and the only the only piece of the puzzle missing for the indian super league is for the for for two clubs east bengal and mohan bagan which are the most popular clubs in india which are the clubs uh, in indian football to be to be following and to be known they've been known for more than a century now so if when when these two clubs join the indian super league it'll officially be it'll it'll be called a merger but it'll actually be the indian super league taking over from the i league as a top division and that's that's where the future stands uh, once these two clubs eventually sort out the differences uh, the only the only point of concern here is that these two clubs do not want to pay the fa- franchise fee which is a hefty sum to join the league they claim they've been here for cent- for for decades and a century now shouldn't we needing to pay a license fee to join a league which which fundamentally i agree with completely but eventually there will be a one league I think the Asian Federation has uh, given a sort of a warning that it should happen from next season onwards but this season for the first time in 3 years these two leagues are going to run in parallel as opposed to running back to back in the previous years the Indian Super League would run from October to December the I League would run from anywhere between January to March/April so the same players would play in both the leagues uh, at least at least the top players would play pay in play in both the both the leagues right now they had to choose one and most of the club most of the players obviously have chosen the more lucrative indian super league which has further further sort of lessened the aura around the i league uh, if any at all exists exists anymore even today we know that the indian super league starts one week from now the i league is supposed to start on 25th november there's nothing on uh, on tv there's there's no marketing around it the broadcaster itself is actually a part owner of the indian super league so it is in the broadcaster's own interest to not promote the i league it's quite a mess it it is india doesn't understand conflict of interest very well i don't know if you follow cricket enough um, we've recently had about 3 years of conversation around conflict of interest and lots of lots of things have come out and that's the number one sport in india which people understand fully this is this is the situation in indian football till it is sorted out the ecosystem will not be good enough for clubs to take a punt and go go for it in the long term in the last 3 years alone the top clubs one of the clubs who finished third in the i league in its debut season folded up disbanded its senior team because it saw no point goan clubs have disbanded their senior teams because they don't they don't see any point investing in indian football that's the kind of ecosystem we have in the backdrop of this under 17 world cup which is where the 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 nature of success which is being portrayed is very superficial yeah indeed i i do follow, i do follow cricket a little bit and when the indian super league was was launched to me anyway it did seem a bit of a copy of the cricket version with some of the marketing of the names and that kind of thing was there any well, not conflict of interest perhaps is the wrong word but kind of are any of the owners like crossing over there between football and cricket there is there is a lot of overlap in uh, ownership uh, for instance the owners of there, there's a there's the private firm called IMG Reliance which is which is the marketing agency of the Indian FA partly owns the Indian Super League is run by the same by the same company and the same individuals who own Mumbai Indians which is also the most popular franchise because it had Sachin Tendulkar in it for years now so there's a lot of uh, overlap in ownership a lot of people who've a lot of celebrity celebrities who've shown interest and taken up a stake in the Indian Premier League they've also come on the Indian Super League side we've had we've had a lot of uh, celebrity endorsements and brand ambassadors have come the the cricketers uh, cricketers themselves those who play in the Indian Super League are co-owners of uh, 
co-owners or brand ambassadors of uh, Indian Super League clubs. It's on the same model. And in fact, uh, I once read that uh, the guy who started the Indian Premier League, uh, the, uh, the entire idea, Lalit Modi, who's right now who's right now in London because he'll be arrested if he comes back to India, he had pitched this similar model, IPL-style model league uh, years ago to the Indian FA. They did not lap it up. And years down the line, eventually, this sort of league eventually panned out where franchisees play each other uh, and franchisee clubs, each and every single one of them were born in 2014 uh, when the league started. So there's, there, was, there, was, there was no there was no no club playing in the Indian Super League, which has a history before 2014. OK, uh, thanks for that, Arkesh. Fascinating stuff. Um, I'm going to move across now to Owen, who has been waiting patiently. We're actually going to speak about Mongolian football. I think it's best that maybe you introduce the subjects exactly what we're going to be talking about here. You know, just to give some background to people who don't know, Mongolian national team, for example, is ranked 197 in the world at the moment, only two Asian nations below them at present. So a team even worse than India there. <laughs> From watching the Olympics over years, I, I, yeah, I kind of associate Mongolian sport with wrestling as much as anything. I believe that football's increasing in popularity in, in Mongolia. And I mean, you know two guys that are setting up a football team in the country? Well, that's partly right, um, Adam. Um, the story goes back a little bit. For, for the uh, website, I've been looking at weird and wonderful stories about football in East Asia. And one of the very weird and wonderful stories I did come across was about a Mongolian football club was set up by um, Paul Watson. Uh, Paul Watson, who's he's an author and um, brother is an English comedian. And basically what Paul Watson wanted to do was he wanted to play international football. For a, for a country, he was an amateur footballer himself, and he went over to Pompeii, a country of, with a population of around 30,000, and he tried to, basically, this is the backstory, tried to get a game for the national side, but um, due to, obviously, issues with citizenship, he wasn't able to, but he did then set up um, and become, uh, set up, really, the Pompeii national side, who'd never won a game before, and he became a coach. They went on to um, Gam and played an international tournament there. Unfortunately, they didn't win any games, but he took a nation which had no kind of football infrastructure at all and took them to a football tournament. And this really is how, moving on, is how he became involved in this Mongolian football club. Mongolian football club's called uh, Bengal. And um, he was approached um, by um, a few locals in, in Mongolia who wanted to set up a football side there. So in 2013, he went over and they set up the football um, side and they even attracted interest from television crews. And the, there was even a Mongolian TV show about the tryouts for the football team. And um, last year, they played their first um, ever season in the Mongolian Premier League. And they were managed by a man named um, Sadap, who um, had previously been a coach at Everton and Wigan. So obviously had a decent footballing experience. Unfortunately, they were relegated in their first season, but um, they 
set up links with Limerick FC and Irish side to really kind of improve the infrastructure of the club and attract players and really learn a lot more about kind of the footballing culture and the professional professionalism in football. And really, this story is, I think it's one of the most random football stories I've come across um, while researching football in East Asia. And it's just, it's very interesting the way in which football can bring um, communities together and can can really kind of attract such an interest. And it's, I think it's great because in Britain, for example, we have such a love of the game um, that we take it for granted. So it's great to see people use football in far east countries and really show the passion and the entertainment that it can bring to a city or to a community. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And do you have have you seen much Mongolian football and do you know kind of what standard it is? I've not seen a lot of it, but, um, but it's trying to explain what kind of standard it is. Imagine you have listeners throughout the world, not just in English speaking countries, um, but from like a more from like a British point of view, I would say the standard you're talking. I mean, upper Sunday league. So you're you're talking not much better than um, people who play in Britain on a Sunday afternoon. But the thing is that the more they play and the more they get the crowds and the more they get the interest and the more they get coaches from abroad, the better the game will become. Indeed, and, and it's also sort of relevant to their region as well, just just how good they perceive themselves to be uh, over time. Like you say, it, it won't take long for them to improve. I, I read another article on your website about football in Taiwan as well where I think another British coach is doing wonders there, no? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I used to live in Taiwan, so there's a bit of a personal interest. I've got quite a few Taiwanese friends, so I've always kind of kept a lookout. But they're managed by a man named Gary White, um, who's really trying to really change the culture of football in Taiwan because the, the problem is there is an interest in the game, but it's just an interest in watching it on TV, watching Liverpool Man United. Um, and what Gary White's done is he's come in and he's really made a difference. And a key issue is Taiwanese citizenship um, was a very tough thing to come come by until very recently. And they brought in a new law that meant that if you exceeded in your field, so exceeded in football for for the country or exceeded in the arts, etc., you could get citizenship. And they've actually just called up two two players to their side for their Asian um, Cup qualifiers. One is Will Duncan, who is a 17-year-old at Crystal Palace. And another one is Timothy Cho, who is a 23-year-old midfielder um, who was at Wigan and is now at Ross County. So they're, they're, they're starting to bring in professional players. Um, and that will make a huge difference because... Up until now, they had seven professional players and none of which played at any kind of standard, such as Will Donkin, who's obviously coming from an English Premier League side. So Gary White has kind of helped find these players and kind of helped encourage them to play football. And Taiwan actually still within touch and distance or qualifying for the Asian Cup. And the under-19s today, in fact, qualified for the under-19s Asian Cup. So football in the country probably for the first ever time, is actually on the app. 
Yeah, and it, and it goes to show, you know, with, with the influence of just one coach who knows what he's doing and kind of has the right scouting and, and contacts, you know, the, the quality of football can soon rise in the country and in the region as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, one, one of the things that really brought home kind of the lack of knowledge of football was they were interviewing Gary White, the manager of Taiwan, and they couldn't understand why he was having a professional player do a fitness test. And he tried to explain to the media that every football player, when they when they turn up for international duty, have to do a fitness test just so they can examine their level of fitness. And it took a long time to even explain to the media why that was. And I think that shows you the little kind of understanding that they really have of them of how football really works. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly going to be important to try and change the football culture and, and to kind of bring it up to standard, really. They certainly seem to be making huge strides and hopefully they can develop their own identity out of it as well. One of the key things in Taiwan is about um, having their football identity away from China. No, and I mean, they've gone up 40 places in six months in the FIFA rankings. So there's definitely something happening there. And um, it's a country of 20 million people. So there's definitely the interest that you can bring to the game. Yeah, I noticed that earlier. They, they, you know, so like you said, a few months ago, you know, they were pretty much side by side with Mongolia in the rankings. And now, and now they've shut up. It's a remarkable story. And if they do qualify for the Asian Cup, then... We'll probably get you back on the show to tell us more and, and also maybe your, your other writer. I think it was Mark Henderson who wrote that article on Taiwan. Yeah, that's correct. Mark Henderson actually coaches uh, amateur side in Taipei called the Taipei Mags. He's a Newcastle United fan, which is where the name comes from. So he's learned a lot about the football and couching in Taiwan. Through, um, I think he's been a coach of the football side for five years now. Okay, cool. It'd certainly be interesting to get him on this on on the globe one day here here at Well Football Index. Okay, guys, thank you so much for for coming on today. It's been a fascinating show. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners have too. Just before you guys do your um, plugs, um, sorry, Arkash, you have a question for Owen. I do, I do. Owen, so when you're when you're talking about a British coach coming to Mongolia and uh, even in Taiwan, trying to build a culture, trying to tap into and actually trying to create a culture altogether. How do you see this panning out? Can can it really be done by a couple of folks from foreign foreign land and trying to sort of inculcate a culture in these in certain certain pockets? Because if you if you think about it, for instance, in the under seventeen World Cup, uh, barring India, every every national team's coach was a local coach. Uh, we invested in a Portuguese coach and. Uh, we barely trust our own people right now because one one we we have a we have a sort of inferiority complex you can call it uh, the other thing is our coaching education is very poor so how do you see this these things pan out because even even from a fifa tournament point of view i think if i'm correct the, the stat is that a senior fifa world cup has been only won by a local coach uh, there there have been no foreign coaches of teams who won this is this is part of the education and this is this fairly reflects the culture of a country. So how do you see that panning out eventually giving Taiwan to into the hands of Taiwanese people and Mongolia into the hands of Mongolian people? In terms of having foreign coaches in Taiwan specifically, yeah, there is going to be a bit of backlash because people want 
especially their country, they want people from their country to be the people who are making the difference and making it better. I feel that Gary White will be doing is he's helping them understand and educating them on kind of a football culture, professional football culture that will work for them. So it's not about having football coaches forevermore. It's about having coach come winning coaches over who can help you improve the game and help teach you. And Taiwan, um, I can speak for a little bit more about than Mongolia on this matter. But Taiwan are a country that's always looking to change, always forward thinking, and they they like to learn about Westerner Westerners' cultures and the culture in Western society. And so with Gary White and them, him helping their football inside, I think they will embrace it, and I think he will he will actually create a lot of interest and buzz about football in the country. Okay, guys, I've, 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 that's all fascinating stuff. Um... I think that rounds us up for today. Thanks so much for coming on. And I've certainly learnt a lot today, and I'm sure our listeners have too. Just before I come back to you both, um, for you guys to to plug whatever you want to plug and also give out your your Twitter handles, um, I just want to do a quick recommendation. Um, I'll be doing this regularly on, on the Globe Pod, so something that I've enjoyed over the years and, and feel that, you know, I, th- I think something something which is worth sharing. Um, so my rec- recommendation for, for the pod this week is a book. And if you are listening to this uh, podcast, then I'm sure you are interested in world football and what's going on in world football. And if you want a, a, a historical look at the game worldwide, then there's no better book than David Goldblatt's The Ball is Round, which is a fascinating read. So I've, I've recently started rereading it and um, it's just reminded me just how good it is. So that's my recommendation for the week. Guys, I'll come to Arka Sharma first. Maybe you can give your Twitter handle and also anything you would like to plug, something you're writing at the moment or, or along those lines. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Adam. Uh, this this was very enjoyable. Uh, my Twitter handle is Akash underscore official. It's uh, not a very bright Twitter handle. But I keep writing for various publications on Indian football and on the kind of, uh, you know, the things not, not, just, uh, not just about the football on the pitch, but off the pitch as well, trying to make sense of it and trying to get my readers to sort of get the entire picture in a more simple, uh, even though it will be a long read, it will be a comprehensive, simple picture, a fact-based picture of uh, Indian football. And you can, you can, you can see me sharing those on Twitter and you can follow me there. I look forward to reading that. And Owen, where can people find you and your website? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Owine1875. And also, if please do take up, um, a look on my website at fromthetopuball.com where you'll find interest in many different aspects of football in East Asia. And please do contact me if you have anything to add. And Akash, uh, you, you just quickly want to mention your website as well. Yes, I, I forgot to mention it because technically I don't write on it, but it collates all of my writing. So even if uh, you're not following me on Twitter, it's akarsharma.com. It's, it essentially uh, collates all my writing, so you can follow me there as well. Okay, so that's all for us today. Um, I'd just like to say uh, another big thank you uh, to the guys 
for joining us today. It has been a really interesting chat. Also, I'd like to thank our listeners. And if you have enjoyed this pod, then I would like you to go on iTunes and review and rate us if you can, because that helps us out greatly. Um, So that's all for us today. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you.